0: Hello everyone and welcome to Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labour and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host today, Cynthia Chong, partner at Deacons in Hong Kong. Here on Employment Matters, we bring you updates from around the world as we dial in our local ELA lawyers. These good folks practice on the ground in jurisdictions around the globe, working daily to help their clients. Today, we're going to be chatting with Jeffrey Wilson, counsel at Junhe in China. On the program today, Jeffrey is going to be talking about employment aspects of China's Communist Party National Congress. Thanks for joining us, Jeffrey. Good morning. How are you today?
1: My pleasure. and It's good to talk with you again.
0: Great. So let's dive in. Generally, just give us an overview of what really happened during the National Congress which just ended over the weekend.
1: Okay, so the first point I'd like to make is that this is the National Congress of the Communist Party, not of the government, but of course, the party leads the government. So what happened from October 16th to the 22nd will soon be translated into government policy and selection of government positions later. So in in some respects, this is kind of a first step of a process that will continue until the spring. So this last couple of weeks, the Congress, 205 members, were now selected for the Central Committee of the Communist Party, who then in turn elected a 25-member Politburo, and then the seven-member Standing Committee of the Politburo. So those seven members are really the most powerful people in China. And of course, at the top of those seven people is Xi Jinping, elected for another five-year term as the general secretary. And the number two person, was kind of a surprise in the Politburo, is Li Qiang, who is currently the party secretary of Shanghai. And he is widely expected to be named the premier next March when the National People's Congress meets. And so the premier is the one who's responsible largely for implementing the government policy. So you'll probably hear a lot about him in the future. So as I said, you know, there'll be more people appointed from the Politburo, you know, general secretaries of or party secretaries of cities, mayors, ministries will get new appointments, the state council, So, there'll be a lot of new faces, some old faces, but some new faces in the government. But really, what we're looking at for the next five years just set the leadership until the next National Congress in 2027.
0: I think one of the most anticipated topics in this National Congress meeting was the announcement that zero COVID policies would be relaxed with international travel restrictions easing. That was at least the expectation. So, what actually happened?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, people here, in China and overseas. And of course, in Hong Kong, we've kind of been waiting to see when and if zero COVID policies would be relaxed. And by zero COVID, we mean really China does not want to have any cases at all. And if there's a case, clamp down on it, maybe have a lockdown and and have the quarantine policies that go with it. So employers, employees, business travelers, students, everyone was looking at this. And initially, we thought, okay, the Winter Olympics are going to come in Beijing. We'll wait until then. And then we'll wait until this National Congress in October. And then maybe we'll see a big change. But the party Congress, the message came loud and clear that zero COVID policies will remain. And in fact, it's actually become more strict in some circumstances. I mean, there's testing by districts just announced for Shanghai. Yeah, schools are still being locked down. You know, people are being locked down. I mean, I had a home quarantine a couple of weeks ago. So it is, it's still largely in place. And the government and the party seem determined that this is the way to go. Now, we may see some relaxation in terms of travel. There was just an announcement earlier this week saying maybe it would be three days of quarantine, maybe some home quarantine. Try to relax it a little bit to allow some business travelers in and to encourage more travel. But we'll see if that actually happens. Talking to one of my colleagues, What they're looking for is maybe some symbolic opening for some events. And one thing that they pointed on the calendar is next spring's Formula One race in Shanghai, which, of course, is going to bring in lots of people. It's on the calendar right now. So that would be a lot of international travelers and, of course, a lot of fans flocking to Shanghai. And if that's pulled off and that goes forward, well, then maybe people will say, "Okay, things are really starting to open up and maybe zero COVID will not last forever. But we'll see.
0: Okay, so what what does that really mean for people working that? So, would the employment policies form a major part of the Congress?
1: Not really. The employment policies were not the focus. The focus was really on selecting the new leadership and you know setting down some basic principles going forward. So, while the economy you know definitely was a focus, you know the employment kind of tails along with the economy and, and is of course an important part. And so, I think most people here were looking. For stability, obviously, the leader was elected again, so that will continue. So I don't think from the employment laws and policies, we will see a great change or much of any significant change, maybe some relatively minor changes next spring. But I think the party and then the government is really you know looking at the socialist system. You go back to 1995 labor law, that's not going to change. So the basic principles remain of the economy here and the employment relationship. And in many respects, this is still a very employee protected jurisdiction with lots of protection for employees, which is going to cause employers some headaches. And, you know, for the last five, 10, 15 years, many people were thinking, you know, as the economy opens up and people become more wealthy, senior managers can negotiate their own contracts. Some things should really change here, but it looks like they're not. So we'll still be stuck with kind of this rigid employment system and laws and policies. One other significant item I think that came out from the National Congress was of all the individuals appointed to the Politburo, none of them has a significant employment specific background. So no one came from the Ministry of Human Resources and Social Security. So no one really has an employment law background that's joining the leadership. And that's contrasted to I think I saw a report that said two former environmental ministers were appointed. That may, may signal well protection of the um, the environment is, is a major concern. Employment and changing the laws may not be a, as important at this time.
0: I see. So wh- were there any sort of specific employment related issues that came up?
1: Yeah, in his in his opening day speech, Xi Jinping did mention several issues. One. That's he's talked about a lot and the government has put in a lot of emphasis on is common prosperity. That's, you know, kind of a complicated and maybe a little bit controversial topic, but briefly it means, I mean, improving the system of, of income distribution. So increasing the incomes of low income people, expanding the size of the middle class, I mean, kind of more sharing the wealth. Now, what does that mean? I mean, in, in a Western context, that may mean, okay, raising taxes on the wealthy and, you know, subsidizing the lower income or raising wages significantly. But I don't think in in China that that's really what's going to happen. It's going to be more gradual steps, maybe more indirect steps that will be taken. One thing that will probably have some effect, or maybe the party and the government expect will have some effect on, you know, raising some wages or opportunities is more antitrust Action. I mean, trying to break up or limit the power of some of the big companies, particularly the tech companies, the education sector, which has been going on for several years, and allowing more competition to come into the market, which then will maybe help raise incomes down to lower levels. Another method would be breaking down barriers for migrant workers, eliminating hukou restrictions, allowing people from the countryside to come into the cities and take jobs and therefore increase their income so they're not stuck in the countryside maybe with lower wages and increasing their mobility. As I mentioned, probably not large scale increases in the minimum wage, just allowing people greater movement. Another point was eliminating restrictions, unreasonable restrictions, and employment discrimination that affect equal employment. So you know, if there's some regulatory rules or just blatant discrimination, try to get rid of that to enable people to have the jobs that they want that therefore they can maybe get a better job and therefore increase their their income. But the points about discrimination they didn't really mention, you know, the type of people who may get increased protection such as, you know, gender, age, it's really kind of some general principles that were laid out in this respect.
0: So were there other employment issues raised? Well, one that is is particularly
1: important that was mentioned was strengthening the protection of people under what's called flexible employment or new forms of employment, and what this means is people who are self-employed, you know, maybe got their own business, you know, selling fruit or selling, you know, on the street or repairing something. Or new forms of employment include contractors, the gig economy, you know, the huge numbers of people, you know, driving scooters, delivering food, even construction workers. And this is a big challenge for China. I saw a statistic yesterday that said out of the 750 million person workforce. 200 million of these workers fall into these categories that's 26% of all workers fall into these categories which are not traditional employees so the law in china you know the labor law from 1995, you know which we just mentioned has certain protection for full time employees and kind of assumes everyone's going to have a work unit and full time 40 hours per week and 44 hours per week you know overtime protection benefits but when you have these literally hundreds of millions of people who don't fall within these categories of full-time employees. I mean, how are they protected? Health and safety. So this will remain to be a priority for the government is how to get social insurance for these people. You know, if they're riding a motorcycle and they get an accident, who's going to cover this? Is it themselves? Is it the restaurant that engaged them? Is it the internet platform? Who's responsible? Making sure these people get a minimum wage, at least some compensation, so they're not just you know, sitting around you know, waiting for a phone call or a message on their phone to go make a delivery. Safety, some of these workers now will be protected by unions, so they have some bargaining or some protection as a group rather than as individuals. So some provinces have taken steps to protect these workers, but I think you know, it will be a priority at the national level to have more regulation and more legislation to protect these workers in the gig economy. Another issue that came up is related is improving the social security system, social insurance. And so expanding the coverage, as I just mentioned, expanding it to these people who may be self-employed or the gig economy, but also to make the social insurance system more portable. So if you have someone who is employed in Beijing, but... They want their housing fund or their, their medical insurance, you know, their benefits in Shanghai, or they're going to retire in Shanghai. You know, they don't necessarily want the Beijing benefits, they want the Shanghai benefits, or they're working in Wuhan or wherever they're working across China. You know, they can transfer their accounts and receive their benefits in different cities or go see a doctor in a different province. So that's one big problem for China right now, particularly as the workforce ages and people want to get their pension and want to get their, their medical insurance, is how to unify the social insurance system. And this is a headache for employers as well. It's trying to figure out, you know, where they have to pay these benefits for the employees because the employees demand maybe payment in a different province or a different city.
0: China's aging population and workforce is obviously another hot item, which has been on the news a lot. Does this discussion come up in the National Congress?
1: Yeah, Xi Jinping mentioned this issue in his opening speech. And he, he literally said, gradually extending the statutory retirement age. So gradually, you know, what does that mean? You know, maybe delay the year. We're going to step back in a second. The statutory retirement ages in China are 50 or 55 for women and 60 for men. And, you know, as the demographics change and there's fewer workers coming into the workforce because, you know, the one-child policy or people just not having kids and people living longer and maybe wanting to work longer. But the law is still stuck at these ages, which, you know, were set a long, long time ago. It's trying to face his problems, particularly in the funding of the social insurance system. Greater retirees are going to, and less people putting in money is going to create a financial bind. So the issue of extending the retirement age has, has been raised multiple times over the last years. And the government just can't figure out how to do this because some workers, they, you know, if they're doing construction work, they don't want to keep working. I mean, maybe their bodies are broken down or maybe they want to care for their grandchildren. Uh, mm-hmm. They may not be happy about that. On the other hand, you have you know senior executives who are female, and if they have to retire at 55 and they lose protection of employment laws, that's not good for the employee, and that's not good for the employer who wants to retain these people. So it's a very difficult issue for the government and the party to resolve the balance and how they're going to do this. And there was no specifics at the meeting this last week. But I think everyone kind of agrees that this is something that needs to be addressed, and maybe it's going to be okay. We'll raise it for men to sixty one this year. The next year, sixty two. You know, for women, maybe maybe make it the same as men. That's that's going to be a very hotly contested issue going forward in probably the next five to ten years. But one thing I should mention on this: there was nothing mentioned, as far as I know, at the meetings regarding youth unemployment and work opportunities for the youth and this has also been a big issue in china is how to get the especially the huge number of young people coming out of college who are maybe facing unemployment or maybe not jobs that match their skill set or their aspirations you know how these people are going to be included particularly in the age of covid you know that is a pressing issue going forward at both extremes so you know there could be some generational conflict between the older people who are getting some of the benefits and the younger people who are looking and say look i want the older people to retire so i can you know move into management and i can get you know opportunities so we'll see how that works out
0: you know obviously the national congress have been the focus on many sort of overseas media and i think one of the comments was that the politburo for the first time in 25 years does not have a female member and the streak when the Politburo Standing Committee has never had a female member continues. So, Jeffrey, what are your thoughts on how some of the people could interpret this in regard to women in the workforce and related employment policies?
1: Yes, I think this has been widely commented upon overseas, you know, when the leaders were, you know, appeared on stage and the nameless came out and the, the absence of females on these lists and these, these videos and photos was quite apparent. And then you link that with some of the recent high-profile discrimination and harassment cases that have occurred in China over the last few years. You know, is there a commitment, you know, to promoting and protecting women in the workforce? And, you know, what kind of message this shows? You know, and there's some thought that says, you know, that's two different things, you know, that the party can run its own affairs and and the government can also, you know, enact laws that do protect women. So that does remain, you know, I think an issue that many people will watch. You know, I think many people have commented that a lot of women have done very, very well in business. And so maybe they're not going to be particularly interested in party affairs and they'll go on and, you know, become CEOs or form their own companies and and they will excel in that arena. But it's, it's rather ironic that just after, you know, the Politburo composition was announced, the government just announced Monday, I think it was, that draft amendments, the law on the protection of women's and rights interests, will be reviewed this week by the Standing Committee of the the National People's Congress, and so we expect approval to occur very soon. So on the one hand, you, know, you have these images that maybe came out. On the other hand, you have the National People's Congress is probably going to approve some significant amendments regarding the employment rights of women. So that's a major news that will occur here. And just very briefly, the new law will say among many many different things that you can't restrict promotion or titles on the basis of marriage or maternity. There'll be public interest litigation possible. So in other words, a prosecutor, if a woman doesn't want to, or a group of women don't want to file a case alleging discrimination or charging discrimination, they can refer it to the prosecutors. And the prosecutors may may file those cases. It's it's somewhat similar to what has happened in China regarding environmental litigation. So, the, you know, the prosecutors may step in and protections under this amended law for women will also apply to women working for Internet platform companies. In other words, even if they're not direct employees of the Internet platform, their gig economy workers, they can still receive protection. And there's also going to be something called a gender equality reporting system. So companies may have to report, you know, how many women they have in the workforce or in their on their company you know what positions and then file that regularly. So, you know that's more of a transparent system. But I think I think we have to be reasonable about the expectations about these laws. You know what we saw in the party in the last few days is sometimes these laws come into effect and the goal of the government is not necessarily to have, you know, lawsuits filed and then other protected groups suing for their rights and receiving, you know, huge damages awards a lot of this is going to be a gradual process. So they'll put out these new amendments, they'll publicize this, and they'll expect society to catch up. So a lot of this is going to be a gradual change in behavior. And I don't think anyone thinks that these new laws will change and give huge rights to women immediately as a practical matter. It'll it'll, still take some time. But I mean, it is significant that the government is amending these laws and does see the need to protect women in the workforce. And of course, Behind that is probably the government wants women to stay in the workforce compensated so they have children. And so it increased the birth rate. So that is part of all these policies. And we'll see what else the government can announce in the next few months regarding the declining birthright in women in the, in the workforce. But, but that's all I have from the National Congress. But of course, it affects where you work as well, the National Congress. So turn the conversation towards you, Cynthia. Are there any developments for employers in Hong Kong? How are people in Hong Kong watching what was going on?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we obviously have been sort of having our eyes set on this National Congress. And it, it's really good to hear that basically uh, presidency had reinforced the one country, two system and also the critical role of Hong Kong over the next five years and beyond. So one of the important and and very interesting thing that President Xi mentioned was obviously for Hong Kong to better integrate with the National Development Plan of China, but one of which, apart from safeguarding the national security, is also to pursue talent and innovation throughout the region. So that obviously had also been picked up by a lot of Hong Kong people. And incidentally, after that statement by President Xi, we have our maiden policy address by our new chief executive. Who also actually addressed the talent attraction issue, particularly in Hong Kong, as you may know, with the zero COVID policy, which had been reinforced. I think people were a little bit concerned how we are able to attract talents to Hong Kong, particularly with the fierce competition from Singapore and sort of the other regional jurisdictions. But to have presidencies sort of blessing that, you know, they wanted to make sure that, you know, we have sufficient talents to be attracted to Hong Kong the ce announced a top talent pass scheme for the next two years what that actually means is that eligible talents ie individuals who earn more than 2.5 million hong kong dollars in the last year and also individuals graduating from the world's top 100 universities with at least 3 years of work experience over the last 5 years will be able to come to hong kong a lot more easily with this talent pass so hopefully that would sort of attract talent so Whilst, unfortunately, in the past couple of years, because of the restrictions and traveling, I've seen quite a lot of expats moving out of Hong Kong, hopefully temporarily, but we do need sort of more talents coming back to Hong Kong now, now that at least Hong Kong, although we, we still have this dynamic zero COVID policy, we are a little bit more open up now. We don't really have a quarantine process now, apart from the three days of self-monitoring. So hopefully we're going to be able to attract more people into Hong Kong. We're going to have our first Rugby 7 next week, or actually this weekend. So it's very exciting. And also a financial forum. Um, So I think things are gradually coming back to normal. We're still missing people from China. So I think from the employer's perspective, they're still holding their breath in relation to sort of getting their, their Chinese colleagues back to Hong Kong in the short run. But I think we'll just have to plow on and hopefully things will get better very soon. So that's all from me as well from Hong Kong. Jeffrey, thank you so much for taking time to discuss all these issues with us. I mean, obviously, this is a very interesting topic. And I think, as we mentioned, the overseas media had sort of picked up a few things, which I think you've very kindly also addressed. So if you'd like to connect with Jeffrey, please click on his bio in the description of this podcast and also search the ELA website at ela.law to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Cynthia Chung. Thanks so much for listening.